This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Olivia Wern, welcome to Better Reading. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, book number two, right? Um, Olivia is a writer from Melbourne. She began her career in screenwriting and has several film credits to her name. She completed a master's in creative writing before writing her debut book, The Grand Tour. Her latest novel, and the one we're talking about today, is The Woman Who Knew Too Little. It's a funny, sharply observed novel about one of Australia's greatest mysteries and the life choices available to mid-century women. I have got a real um, interest in that, in going back historically and Mm -hmm. talking about women. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't think about it until a few years ago, like quite a number of years ago, and I was with Tom Keneally, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. And (laughs) I was actually at his apartment. I was dropping something off or picking something up. Mm -hmm. And... We were talking about he was writing something and he said that he's now looking at history and writing back in Aboriginal people because they were there. Mm. They were just never spoken about. And I think that applies for women as well. Mm -hmm. That's probably the main reason how this story came about. It was originally written sort of as a straight detective story. Um, and it just, it had no soul. It had no heart. And I, and, and I went back and I went, there's no women in this. There's just a bunch of men. Um, there was a wife here and a sort of a a love interest, but, um, and then here's my ignorance for you. I thought, were there women police in (laughs) 1949? Um, and then there were, um, yeah. Um, so then from that point I thought, well, brilliant. I'll, I'll, I'll turn it into a female um, police officer. And then I found out, obviously, that they weren't allowed to marry. You know, they weren't, they had to choose career over marriage, um, which I thought for a job that particularly at that time required so much dedication and, and commitment, it was, it would have been really heart-wrenching. You know, you really did have to make a choice between mm. two things that you were passionate about. So then, you know, the story was born from that perspective. Mm. Yeah. Mm. There's been, um, I mean, you probably know more about this than I do, um, Olivia, but there's been a little bit of criticism about historical fiction and Mm. about historical women's fiction. But I've got to say, I don't agree with it because I do think it's, you know, people are saying to me, you know, um, and I'm just making this up, I can't remember a title, but, you know, the, the, you know, uh, let's say the baker's wife. And people are saying that's derogatory towards the wife. Mm. But it's, I don't, I'm not sure that I agree with that because all people are saying that sexes because mm-hmm. it really is about the partner that never had a voice. Exactly. And I think now it's about peeling back the curtain and, and yeah. saying what you think might be the case is actually not the case, you know. Mm. Um, I had to rewrite huge portions of the book because I just assumed that women police at the time were um, 
derided and put down and thought they were actually highly respected. You know, the media really got behind them. The, the the people on the streets loved them. So I sort of had to go back and once I discovered that in my research and I, I just sort of had everyone cheering at them and mocking them and just assuming. But in actual fact, they were really highly respected. So um, that was great to learn. Mm. Did you find enough about female policewomen? Yeah, I did actually. I had a really great, particularly in Adelaide because the story is set in Adelaide, I found a really great sort of um, personal record um, written by retired policewomen of the time, which was fabulous. It only had a small section of that era, but it was enough really just to go on and, um, you know, my imagination did the rest. Mm. So I really know that um, more than historical fiction, your your story is based on a real person. So talk to me about her and also talk to me about her firstly. And then I just want to ask, I always wonder, do writers find out something about their subjects and maybe get a feeling that they either like them or dislike them? And do they have a relationship with them, even though they're historical figures? It's a double barrel right. question. <laughs> just, just to clarify, and this was my so Kitty Wheeler, who's the lead subject, she's not, she's actually a work of fiction. Right. Um, so all the other detectives on the case, I've used their names and they were actually the real people, but obviously there weren't, there wasn't a woman working on the Somerton case. Um, so I did create the character of Kitty, but her background is all based in my research into the female police. But yeah, Kitty Wheeler, I um, I, I just really came to like her, and I tried, uh, I sort of tried to make her very flawed because I can't. No one likes perfect people. No one. So I, I did try. She's quite selfish, and she's a little bit obsessive, and you know that she she doesn't have a great deal of time for the the people around her. She's more in, invested in the bigger picture, and. But yeah, I really, I you know, I'd, I'd like to meet her for coffee and um, and catch up, you know. Mm. So it was, I, it was sort of the men. It's funny. It's one of those cases where the men are a bit more stereotyped. You know, you've got the larrikin and you've got the patriarchal sort of senior sergeant. And but I really feel Kitty is full of depth and and color and character and foibles and. Um, yeah, I really loved writing her. Yeah, yeah. There might have to be a second one. I might have to find another. <laughs> another and that's doable. That's and bring right. her back. I, yeah. yeah. So I want to get back to, you know, your uh, stellar career of writing, um, oh. where it all started, because you're a storyteller, right? Yes, I like mm. to think so. I'm not sure whether I'm a storyteller or I just um, I just like moving words around the page, but uh, a bit of both. Mm-hmm. So where did you grow up Where did you, and how did you get into writing? Um, So I'm a Melbourne girl and I think like every writer, I just loved reading, sort of writing stemmed from, and even now I have to really, really force myself to put the book down that I'm reading and actually do some writing myself because given a choice, I would just read all day. Mm. So I think that sort of the love of literature came first. And then in my sort of early 20s, I went and studied film and I sort of thought, oh, it's all film and I want to be, you know, I want to be behind the scenes and write screenplays. And and then I just found that I'm really, really bad at collaborating. Mm. Um, and so I'd write scripts and then sort of a 100 other people would take it apart and rewrite it and have their say and everything. And I was like, oh, well, hang on. So I thought I really just want to lock myself in a room and and write and write and write and write and write and just be left alone. 
And also it's funny, all my screenplays, everyone would sort of, while they were picking it, they'd say, well, the big print, which is like, you know, you describe a house, but we really don't need a half a page to describe this house. We're just, they're going to walk in through the front door. But I found that I love sort of, you know, drawing everything out. So, I mean, fiction, prose just seemed the obvious move to make. But from that, you made it sound so lovely and succinct in your introduction. I was about 10 years before I actually got the grand tour um, off the ground. So um, it was a long slog, mm-hmm. but well worth it. When you were writing, because I, I just can't see the correlation between script writing and writing fiction, because when I look at scripts, and I haven't looked at many, it's not my area of expertise or work, but it just seems to be just a few words. I often think, how do, how does the story come from this? How does somebody read a script and think, oh, that's a great story, I want to be in it? Because it's very few words, isn't it? Yeah, they're, so they're very sparse. Yes. Um, and you do, you sort of develop a, a technique for reading them. It's a bit like reading plays really without all the stagecraft. Yeah. But for me, I mean, my strength um, in screenwriting, and I didn't write a lot of TV, it was mainly just some short films and, and a couple of features that the features never got off the ground. Um, it, it was about dialogue and and because of dialogue, it was mm. about character. So I just tried to create really strong voices and really strong character through dialogue um, and conversation, which I still love doing now in novels. I, I really adore writing the voice of the character. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the director has so much involvement in taking that script and actually fleshing it out which was where I got left behind. So I was like, oh, this isn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> I can't hand my baby over to someone else. I guess uh, the director brings it to life, really. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, again, when I was speaking to somebody recently who'd gone from script writing to writing fiction and he told me the biggest difference for him felt like that you can actually get in the actors or the characters' heads. You really know what they're yeah, thinking. Yeah, as in, in prose, that internal monologue, yes. definitely. I mean, I, I love going deeper and peeling back the layers, whereas so much in scripts is just left to the actor. You know, you get a great actor and then they bring their character to it. But, no, I love prose and I love really, mm. yeah, doing that psychological mm. study of the character and, yeah. Yeah, that really made a lot of sense to me when you mm. said that. Okay, mm. so you're writing scripts and then how did you, at what point did you decide to write fiction and how did you approach that? Well, <laughs> my lovely husband knew that this was my burning passion um, and he said at the time, look, I'll give you a year. I'll support you for a year. Just do not commit yourself, do nothing, nothing but get this novel out of you. And I, and I just, there was no looking back. So unfortunately for him. <laughs> um, was he the tech guy at the beginning of the podcast? Yes. Yes. yes he, and he's in, he's in film and what have you. He's oh, okay. um, a director okay. and editor. So he very kindly um, supported me through that. And then after the year, I was like, I'm, I'm in now. Um, I, I can't okay. stop doing this. Well, there's there's support and there's actually doing. Mm. Mm. Oh, I'm very yes. No, I'm I'm um, I'm quite obsessive. So uh, once I got started, I was that was it. I was before this was before having children, so I was able to write about five hours a day, and then I had kids, and that threw a spanner in the works. So Did you yeah. find it difficult initially because it really is a different craft, as we say? Um, no, I think just because I loved literature and I loved reading, so I just love words and I just loved putting them down. The, in actual fact, the, the my favourite part of the process is the editing. I just love 
you know, mm. once you uh, forced it all down onto the page and the story down, I love just polishing and polishing and polishing and polishing and making it sing. So, um, no, no, it's it's very enjoyable. Yes, mm. no, no troubles doing that. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I don't hear that that much. Just that. <laughs> um, okay, and so then from there, how did you get your first book published? It's one thing writing a book, as we know, but it's another thing having that book published. Yes, the same old story. I just I kept sending it. I'm I'm a believer that um, you've, there's no harm just sending it out into the world, and and I got a lot of rejections back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I guess coming from film, you're in, you're you're used to rejections. Oh God, Lord, yes, yeah. But yes. at least it's film. I mean, it's like, well, here you are, and now can you raise five million dollars to make it with a book? It's <laughs> like you know, here you are, and it's a lot simpler process. And here's um, some money to write it. Yeah, exactly. If you yeah. wouldn't, please. Yeah. Um. So, and then you know, I'd get rejections and I'd get feedback, and I just I I just keep polishing and pol- I was determined. I was a dog with a bone. Um. So after years and years and years and polishing and polishing and polishing, um, oh, I had um, I, I sent it into an unpublished manuscript and one of the judges came back and said that he adored it, but they hadn't shortlisted it, um, but he thought it was a shoe in for being published and he really, he didn't want me to lose heart, you know. Um, so I said, great, can I use that and without feedback? Mm. So from there I got an agent um, based on his lovely feedback. Oh, um, generous. That's so generous. Oh, it was very kind. He reached out. He literally yeah. reached, he didn't want me to, you know, lose lose heart. Um, so that was really wonderful. And that was just the boost I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought finally I've got it to a point where it's it's getting noticed. Um, and from there I got my agent and um, she sort of sent it out so I wasn't unsolicited. I wasn't going through slush piles anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, um, HQ came on board and the rest and is here. Just, you are, yeah, yeah. Here you are. So, getting your first book out is one story, right? And that was called the Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. But getting this book out, the woman um, who knew too little, was that equally easy to write, or were you under some kind of pressure? Because you knew what you're in for, right? Yes. I mean, the second book, you know what it's all about, and there's different pressures, right? Because mm-hmm. you know the cycle. How did you feel writing the second one? Um, well, to be honest, if we go back to the the ten years prior when I mentioned I might have been quite obsessive, yeah, I actually already had the second manuscript under my belt. I'd been oh. writing a lot, so I had it under my belt. I mean, it wasn't up. You to must scratch. be a dream author. <laughs> <laughs> they do like me. 
particularly when it comes to edit, because I enjoy editing so much. I'm like, yeah, give me your notes. Fabulous. I'll, Mm. you know, I'll get right on Mm. those. So I actually got a two book deal with HQ on the back of the fact that they knew I had two manuscripts. God, God love them Mm -hmm. um, for having that faith in me. But then obviously I needed a lot of work to bring the woman who knew too little up to a point where it could hit the market. But um, yeah, no, so it was, it was ready. It was ready to go. Yeah. I had, had a spare just in case. Mm, I think that's the first time I've ever heard that. And I've interviewed over 400 authors. <laughs> so you I, must be a dream. I wrote a lot. I had a <laughs> lot of spare time. Um, <laughs> so book number three, it, have it you got was. something else in your drawer? <laughs> I did, um, but I, it wasn't quite where I wanted it to be. So, um, but this is the, tr- I fall in love with the characters and I can't shelve them. I want them to come to life. I, I, it feels mean just to, you know, stick them in a cupboard and never let them see the light of day. So if there's characters I love, I'll generally just pull them out and say, we'll find, we'll find a story for you. Don't you worry. So I had some characters that I adored I'd made best friends with. So hopefully I can um, just put them in a situation that's you know, and so do you think you'll be like a book a year, a book every second year author? What do you think? Um, I, I, I could have been a book a year if you had have asked me sort of nine years ago. And then I have children who um, have something Change to say things. about that. I'm not a writer to them. No. Um, so in between fetching snacks and, and, you know, kicking a ball around. So probably every two years if, if you know, I had my way. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I haven't hit the almighty writer's block though. I've had a dream run. I'm I'm not going to get, you know, it's it's possibly there. Uh, just well, ahead me. the sense I'm getting is that you're never going to have writer's block. <laughs> <laughs> I think, not. yeah. Do you have a number of stories twirling in your head or do you? I, I think- have a, yeah, I have a few. I had sort of scenarios or characters just in the back, just right in the subconscious thinking, yeah, you might, you might get pulled out one day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any tips for up and coming authors or aspiring authors? Just write. Yeah, just keep write. going. Just keep, it's like anything, practice, 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 practice. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I get embarrassed if I find stuff that I wrote a long time. I'm like, oh, of dear course. Lord, I hope, it's like old photos. Oh, God, I hope no one ever gets their hands on these. You know, I hope they never get go public. Um, but you just, by doing and doing and doing, you just get better just naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a runner running, you know, just mm-hmm. keep going around that oval, just keep doing it. And you actually become pretty good by the end. Um, and read a lot as well, obviously. Yeah. You know, that's interesting, the practising. I mean, I've spoken about it quite a bit on the podcast, but sometimes people have a fantastic first book and they can never really get a fantastic mm-hmm. book after that. Mm. So it's not just practice, is it? No, I mean, I, just, I, I suppose there's an element of craft but um, and talent, I guess. I don't know, but I, I, I feel my talent just comes from from reading so much. I just think I've been, it's like if you spend enough time in galleries and just, you know, submersing yourself in art, so much of it just sort of sinks in. So I just think by reading great authors, I don't know, some of it sticks mm-hmm. um, and it inspires me so much. Hey, I've yeah. got a funny story about that a little bit. I was at my sister's. My sister loves design 
interior design magazines, right? So she's got the house and garden and the yeah. Vogue Living or whatever she's got there. And, I, you know, when I go over there, I'm always flicking through one of them. Uh-huh. And then maybe weeks later I do something like I'm out and I buy a cushion or I buy a throw and then I put it together and I think, wow, gosh, that looks great. <laughs> I'm a natural. I'm a natural. That's what I think of myself. I think that's fantastic. And then I'm back at her place flicking through the same magazine and I see the identical image <laughs> And it's not like I, I, it's not like I cut it up and took it with me. It must have been in my head, and I completely forgot. Absolutely, yeah, it's that, isn't it? I thought I was the first one to discover a country kitchen. Oh, I know. I'll just do (laughs) wood and really charming pottery, as though yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, This wasn't a historical phenomenon. This was something I'd come up with. Now every magazine you just you pick up is just full of these country kit because I thought it was a way for me to display my clutter. I wasn't the first one to come up with that excuse. No, but I guess it's the same with writing, isn't it? That so much bits and pieces just come into your head. Yeah. And do you know what I always think too, you know, when people say they don't want to tell anybody, they're writing something, they don't want to tell anybody so the person doesn't steal their idea. And I always think that's quite odd because if I sat three authors down and I said, okay, well, I want a story about, you know, Jane marries John. They're going to be three completely different stories. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think, I mean, let's face it, all the, yeah. we've been around here for, you know, thousands, of, all the, the stories have all been told. We've done all the plots, but we haven't done it from our personal perspective. That's right. From in our what voice. you bring to it. Yeah. I mean, I had a friend who stopped reading while she was writing because she didn't want to be influenced by anything. Whereas I'm, I just think if I'm influenced by enough, like a tsunami of influence, then I, I can't really mm-hmm. steal from anyone because I'm just overwhelmed. But I'm just hoping that all the good stuff is, is just getting melded in to the mixing bowl of my brain, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm the opposite. When I'm writing, I tend to read more and in the style that I'm writing and, and on the subject that I'm writing, just hoping mm-hmm. that I just pick up all this inspiration and I can use it, you know. But it's still from your perspective. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I spit it out, it's all mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all, absolutely. It's very messy in there. So I, you know, I yeah, forget yeah. most stuff, but the good the good stuff I can churn it up and spit it out, yeah. Yeah. Damon Galgott came in, the Booker Prize winner, The Promise. I don't know if you read it. Love that book so much. But anyway, he was in the, he came into the office a little while back now, and he was telling me that he loves the first process of just that's the dreamlike process for him when he has a story and bang, he just puts it out there and it all comes out, right? He doesn't like the second process of having to put that. I'm the opposite. That's right. And when I thought about that, I thought that's probably me. I think the first process would be something that would, yeah. But, you know, it's funny. Whereas I sort of squeeze squeeze it out uh, and then I just Mm. love colouring it in. You know, I'm not very good at doing that first I'm not very good at drawing, but I love colouring in. Um, isn't that amazing? It's amazing in wow. different processes and how we get to a novel. It's so exactly. amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And this, yeah. I have, I'm a big believer in it. In, it really can't be taught. Just do it by doing it um, because that's how you find your voice. Yeah, that's what I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, lovely. Good. I think we're done. Thank Frozen. you so much. Um, Great. Yeah. Likewise, lovely talking to you. It's really nice talking oh. to you too. And next time we've got to get you in the office. Yeah, and, and look, if it's if it's as warm as you say up there in Sydney, I'll come tomorrow. Um, yeah, come visit. <laughs> down here, down come south. Visit.
Arctic. <laughs> All right. Take care, lovely. Thank you so much Beautiful. for your time. No worries. Thanks for talking. Bye. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.